0: Well, the end of last year marked the 30th anniversary of the ordination of women in the Church of Ireland. And you may remember that back in the summer, I had an interview with two Franciscan sisters who originally were Catholic, but who were ordained as Anglican priests, in 2000. In part of the interview that we heard back in the summer, Sister Anne-Marie describes how the then Catholic Bishop of Plymouth, Christopher Budd, was quite encouraging in their ecumenical work.
1: That bishop, a very enlightened man, invited us to preach about women's roles within the church at a time when there were no such things in the Roman church. And I spoke in uh, Devon, Uh, Cornwall and Dorset at his request very publicly a lecture on the origins of women's ministry and in my research I had actually discovered that there were women ordained as priests in the early church right up until 880 and we know this because we have their ordination prayers we also have the edicts phasing them out gradually over the years and the last edict was in 880 and later there was still one bishop remaining and she was about the only one that wasn't liked the others were much loved and the women were phased out of priesthood not because there was anything wrong with them but because you try to function as a society which has equal roles for men and women within a world society which is entirely main dominated as it was at the time and that's very difficult. Gradually it becomes more difficult, until Pope the I writes to his fellow bishops and asks them what are they going to do with their female priests now that there is a new right of training for male priests. Now, it didn't mean there weren't male priests previously, but just they were innovating it, renewing it, and gradually the women were phased out. And that was entirely new to me who had not been in favor of the ordination of women and i think at that time isabel too was less keen to be ordained
2: yeah yes it came as a surprise to me when i it was suggested that i should go forward uh, for priesthood very reluctant. I was prepared to go forward as a deacon and then during my year as a deacon I thought gosh no I'm holding myself back from the fullness of the priesthood. Not that I was worthy of it but that there was something within it that would allow me to share something of my own journey expressed through the priesthood. I was aware of how every member of the community makes god present so i would facilitate in a sense by um going forward for priesthood so in if, the
1: meantime mm. uh, we had um, begun to realize that perhaps the next step for us would be as members of the anglican communion and we had a great friend, or I had a great friend, um, Victor Duval, who had been Dean of Canterbury Cathedral. It He retired at that time. And we were talking on the phone and we were saying to him how difficult it was um, to function in a church that seemed to be closing itself off from society and from the changes, that um, the wonderful changes of the Vatican II. And um, he just said to me, there's more than one way Of being Catholic it doesn't have to have a capital C and half my family were Anglican and half Catholic my mother was a Catholic until she died and Isabel's family were entirely Catholic and from Ireland she was born and brought up in Dublin but we thought and we prayed about it for quite a long time and we learnt something from it that if you have to make a major decision it's not the right decision The time to make a good and sound decision is when it's a tiny little step, a simple next appropriate step, not a major traumatic thing to do. And once we'd waited and reached that point, we then approached the Bishop of Salisbury. And he was marvellous and wanted to know when we were going to be ordained and we said, well. Um, we were willing to do that and willing to train for ordination and then he looked at our cv and saw all the work we had done in theology the degrees and so on and he said well you've done more training than any of our priests do so he didn't ask us to um, redo our training but he moved us to a big abbey in the south of england sherborne abbey in dorset where we could function for a year first as all as nuns franciscan nuns that comes first for us and then in the second year we were deaconed and loved the idea that in the Anglican Communion our stoles are tied during that first year. And the wonderful thing, the symbolic untying of that stole during your actual ordination. So we were deaconed in Salisbury Cathedral and priested in Sherborne Abbey, which was beautiful because my cousin had been ordained in Sherborne Abbey as well 20 years before me and had been a curate in, in Sherborne as we had been.
2: Yeah, and then we spent uh, roughly 20 years in various parishes. We went up to the north of England to Cumbria for five years and back down into Dorset again. And eventually towards our um, retirement years, uh, we felt we still had more to offer. So we were offered this position over here in Kerry by the Bishop Kenneth. And the thought of coming to serve in the Church of Ireland was very novel for me and I thought because I like history I like the idea of having an involvement in the reformed church of Ireland and I thought how beautiful is that right back into Henry's time when the the roman church was sort of stuck in medievalism and here was Henry saying there is a bigger world beyond the contained one of the existing church so although I think my father would be uncomfortable in his grave at the fact of my becoming a Church of Ireland member, I, my whole heart is pleased and feels very at ease with belonging to this little historic branch of the universal church of, of, of the world, really.
1: I don't know about her father but I do know about all her other relatives and at her ordination they stood up and clapped her Mm -hmm. and it was beautiful to see all these people from Ireland came over to our abbey in Dorset and were so
2: proud of Isabel. So lots of doors and windows have opened up for us and it's just deepened our own development spiritually as well as emotionally and historically. So I feel very privileged to be at this point in my ageing life.
0: Well, that was part of the interview that went out in the summer on Beyond Belief with the Reverend Anne-Marie Stewart and the Reverend Isabel Keegan. And I thought it would be useful to follow up on that in the light of the 30th anniversary of women's ministry in the Church of Ireland. And so, obviously, because of the lockdown, I couldn't go and visit them. So I spoke to Anne-Marie on the phone. Looking at the journey, which is such a fascinating journey, and the one you described so well, as part of your research into women in the early church, you were introduced to the work of the Italian scholar Giorgio Otranto who was an Italian professor who had access to the Vatican Library and discovered some very interesting material. Yeah,
3: Tranto. I never met him myself. Right. My, um, the person I knew was Marianne Rossi. And yeah. but She knew Giorgio Tranto. And it was she who gave me... She'd lived and worked in Italy with him, and he translated all his work. So that's how I got to know about Giorgio Tranto and his work and uh, he was exploring the Vatican archives. I don't know what issue he was exploring for some lectures he was going to give. And by accident, he came across this letter from Pope the I writing to ask his fellow bishops what they were going to do. Now this new right of training for men was coming in. And as I say in the interview, it doesn't mean there weren't male clergy before that, there were, but they were changing how they were going to be trained uh, and the way in which they would be used in the future, and the Pope then said, "So what are you going to do with your female priests now? Mm. What are you going to do with your women clergy?" Yeah,
0: uh, I, I just, I just wonder. This information seems to be so fundamental to women's ministry that it was shared with you. I mean, has it been shared any more yeah. widely?
3: Uh, yes, uh, I was interviewed on radio at the time quite a long time ago before the vote went through for women to be ordained but when i became an anglican i brought all my work with me and gave it to the then ddo in salisbury it?
0: One of the things I picked up on in Anne-Marie's interview was the way that she was involved in the 1970s with advising the Church of England on the role of women in churches. At the time, the Archbishop of Canterbury was Dr Donald Coggan. So when we spoke this week, I asked her how this had come about. You mentioned when we spoke back in the summer that you had also been asked to serve on a commission, an Anglican commission, uh, looking into women's ministry. Donald
3: Coggan.
0: Yeah, Donald Coggan. I mean, goodness, how did he come to choose a Catholic nun to advise on women's ministry in the Church of England?
3: Well, it was again that I was well known in Canterbury. I worked at the cathedral, and when I began working there, I worked as a cleaner because Isabel and I had not long started our little community based on the rules of hermitages that St Francis wrote. And Claire of Assisi worked as a cleaner yeah. when she wanted to follow Francis's way of life. So both Isabel and I decided, even though I was teaching, Uh, theology at the time, that we should work as cleaners. Mm. And so I worked for the Dean and Chapter of Canterbury. But I uh, already, before that, knew the Dean very well. So I got to know Victor so well. Mm. And it was Victor who told Donald Coggan about me and the research I'd been doing and so Coggan and uh, Victor invited me to join this little group. I can't remember how I many it was only about 6 or 8 of us. They were all men and they were all very senior Anglicans. Mm. And me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean even at the time I thought it was amazing.
0: That's fascinating isn't it to think yeah. that to think that you did have an influence on I did. the the yes, uh, I did. yes it was a movement whose whose time just had to come I suppose eventually. It did. Our thanks to the Reverend Anne-Marie Stewart and the Reverend Isabel Keegan. You're tuned to Beyond Belief on Clare FM on this Sunday evening.